0: All right, so we are in this series on the Gospel of Mark called Things Set Right, where we are seeing that whatever you may have believed about Jesus, that he made it very clear that he came to set things right, beginning with us and working out to the world and inviting us to be a part of what he is doing. And by the way, if I would love to invite you to be a part of what we are doing. If you're new to Cornerstone, I would love for you to click the New Here link on our website or wherever you're listening or watching. You can text the word NEW to 603-225-2550, our church number, and then we can be able to welcome you personally and include you in what we're doing, send you info, updates, encouragement as you continue on your spiritual journey. We would love to be a part of that. So please do that. In the book of Mark, as we've been studying it recently, this is kind of the way that we've summed it up, that Jesus is the King who secures victory through the cross. And we've seen how the book of Mark is split up into basically two different sections. The first half, where it's talking about Jesus' identity, who he is. That's where we are right now. That's the King part of it. Then there's a short transition Uh, The tennis shoe is there because there's also a geographical aspect to these divisions as well. The first part is all in the region of Galilee. And then in the transition, he's traveling to Jerusalem. And then the second major section happens in Jerusalem. But uh, we're in this section where it's talking about Jesus' identity. His identity is clearly stated and confirmed in that transition, and then it talks about how he goes to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And in this section, we are today on the third story of three stories that make up a section that are really focusing in on Jesus' identity. We started out with Jesus calming the storm. Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, "'Silence, be still.'" And we had seen how there's only one person in the Hebrew scriptures that controls the wind and the waves, and that's the Lord God. So when Jesus does that, Mark is inviting us to draw, and Jesus is inviting us to draw a conclusion about his identity. The second story that we looked at last week talked about how Jesus was uh, had authority over evil spirits. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Here, Jesus had taught, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to accuse me of being in league with evil because in order to overcome a strong man, you have to be stronger than the strong man. And the implication is, well... If the enemy, Satan, the devil, is the strong man and someone who is stronger than him has showed up and is telling him what to do, well, what's the only power in the universe that's stronger than the enemy? Well, that must be God. And Jesus is exercising that authority. Again, he's inviting us to draw conclusions about who Jesus is, his identity. And then in this section, we're going to see how Jesus Uh, exercises his authority over death, disease, and sickness in three stories that make up a Mark and sandwich where you start with one, go to a second story, and then return back to the, the first story again, a characteristic of some of the stories in the gospel of Mark. Here, it's talking about his overcoming death, disease, and sickness. Here's an example from Mark five twenty nine. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And then the second story, the A story that's returned to, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kun. This is a different, uh, a little girl as opposed to the woman, which means little girl, get up. So today we are talking about faith. We're talking about faith. And what we're going to say is that faith is only as good as its object. Faith is only as good as its object. You just can't have faith. Faith has to be placed in something. Trust, belief, faith, allegiance, all these things have to be placed in someone or something. You just can't have undirected faith. And faith is only as good as its object. And so the challenge will be to examine the objects of our faith and trust. Examine the objects of our faith and trust and to determine is this something that we really believe, we really want to trust, that we can really reliably put our trust in. And in this passage, I want to actually start uh, Over a decade before we encounter this, within this area, 12 years before this happens, there is a family, and they are welcoming their newborn daughter into the family. Uh, I've had this experience three times, Uh, three of our five kids are girls, and I just... Every birth, of course, is just a special experience. You're welcoming a new person, a new life into the family. And with each one, there are hopes and dreams, and you f- you feel your heart invested in their lives. And so this family in this area that we're looking at today from the scriptures, the little girl is growing up. No doubt, you know, her father's heart was turned towards her, and she was growing up and she be, he begins to picture her future you know, wondering who will she marry and what will her life look like and when will she bring me grandchildren? You know, all those things that parents think. Uh, and you, your heart just gets tied up in those children. And so that's what began 12 years ago for one family. At the, about the same time, There was a woman who lived in the area. Uh, She uh, was already an adult. And she experiences uh, the usual way of women in the monthly cycle. And then afterwards, things don't end. It's not normal. And she continues to experience bleeding and it's past the time when that should be over and when life should move on but that doesn't happen for her. She recognizes that something is wrong and it keeps on happening and she doesn't know what to do. She searches out doctors eventually. She may have been a woman of means and she spends all that she has trying to get well and nothing works and in fact uh, the scriptures indicate this, and if you are familiar with the medical practice of 2,000 years ago, it won't surprise you that the doctors actually made things worse, and it says that she suffered a great deal. That's probably an understatement. Now, the other aspect of this is is that because of this, because she was unwell in this way, it meant that she had to withdraw from her community of faith. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't hang around people and touch and embrace people the way that she normally would. And It becomes a barrier and she becomes a little bit of an outcast as a result of that. And so for 12 years, this has been going on and she's ready to give up hope. And then Jesus comes on the scene. About the same time that Jesus is coming on the scene, this other family with the young daughter, with the family that's full of hopes and dreams for her, recognizes that she is getting ill and she becomes more and more ill, more and more sick. And they're concerned because they it doesn't seem like she's going to make it. And all of those hopes, all of those dreams, all of the heart investment in this young girl is in question now. And the heart begins to break. The father's heart begins to break. And Jesus comes on the scene. What can be done? So let's look. At these stories 12 years in, in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter, is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha, cum," which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was twelve years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them, to give her something to eat. Would you pray with me? Heavenly fathers, we pray to you, that is an expression of our faith because as your word says that anyone who comes to you must believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who earnestly seek you. So Lord, we express our faith by coming to you in prayer. And I pray that you will reward us with insight and understanding in the passage that we are looking at today. I pray that you would direct our faith towards the one and only object who is worthy of it, and that is you. Build faith, give the gift of faith as we study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Again, the bottom line is that faith is only as good as its object. You see... Throughout this entire book, the Gospel of Mark, telling the story of Jesus, what Mark wants us to do is direct our faith towards Jesus, to know who he is and put our trust in him. It begins with the very first verse of the first chapter of Mark. This is the good news about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. He is God's anointed agent to set things right the Son of God. He is the divine Son of God. Fully man, fully human, fully God as well. So in this story, I'm going to make a couple of observations that are leading us to this bottom line, that our faith is only as good as its object. And what the stories are showing us, what this experience is showing us is that Jesus is worthy of our faith. The same message that Mark starts out his gospel with. So a couple of observations in order to help understand what's going on here. The first one is this idea that touch transmits, touch transmits. Uh, It's very interesting to see in the Old Testament law, the instructions that God gave to his ancient people. There are so many things about what you can and cannot touch. And looking at from a modern perspective, from an understanding of germs and the such, so much of it makes sense. It would not have made sense to them in that way. This was thousands of years before we understood what germs and viruses and that kind of thing were. But there were certain things that they did or did not do. You didn't touch dead bodies. If you had uh, certain kinds of sickness, you weren't allowed to, in, uh, to be with other people. People. There were hygiene uh, um, rules and regulations that were included. And they make sense to us now because they make sense from an understanding of the way things work. They didn't understand that, but they did understand that touch transmits. And usually the way it worked, the way that the the law was set up, uh, exclusively actually, was if you had something... You didn't touch other people because that would transmit that to them. The touch transmitted. And the way that the scriptures talk about it is uh, uncleanness. So if you were ceremonially unclean, if there was something that was disqualifying to you, you didn't go around and touching or encountering other people because you would make them ceremonially unclean as well. So touch transmits and it's... You see that in the way that this story uh, unfolds. So, in Mark 5, 22, the leader of the local synagogue comes up, and when he saw Jesus, he falls at his feet. Now, uh, he has a request. He hears about Jesus. He's heard what's going on with Jesus. He's pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and do what? Lay your hands on her. I want you to touch her. And then by doing so, he was hoping that that would transmit healing power because touch transmits. So that's one example. We see the same kind of thing happening in the second story as well. Again, communicating that faith is only as good as its object, that touch transmits And also, healing is expected. Healing is expected. Remember the summary of Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to set things right was kind of my paraphrase of it. Well, what's the setting things right? Well, part of that is that everything that is broken and wrong and not right, is going to be set right. And that includes bodies as well. Sometimes healing is described as wholeness. It's putting things right. It's making things whole. So, when the woman encounters Jesus, who has been suffering for 12 years, she knows that if Jesus is who he says he is, then Healing is expected. That's part of the deal of the kingdom of God. In Mark 5:25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years had spent everything she had. But now, she hears about Jesus. So she comes up behind him through the crowd and touches his robe. She's doing this uh, secretly. And what's part of the reason for that? Well, she knows that she's not supposed to touch other people because she has this illness or disease. And so to touch the rabbi would commute, would make him ceremonially unclean. That would not be appreciated. It would not be appropriate. But she believes that maybe if she can just touch the hem of his garment, that he, she can be made well and in fact it states this explicitly this is her thinking mark 528 she thought to herself if I can just touch his robe I will be healed now where would she have gotten this idea that just to touch his robe would transmit healing power evidently it was something that many people had picked up on in mark 656 it says whenever he talking about Jesus went in, Villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. Now, we've seen this before. Jesus had a reputation as a healer. Wherever he went, people brought their sick to him. But what were they thinking? They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. So, evidently, this was a common understanding, and it actually worked. So, she was not off. Base with that. But where does this idea come from? This is really interesting because remember, the Gospel of Mark is designed to help you to see that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And this is part of that convincing agenda. Uh, Way back in ancient Israelite times, in one of the first books of the Bible, Numbers 15, verse 38 it says this throughout the generations to come you must make tassels for the hem of hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. Now, I've been telling you about the the TV series, The Chosen, Google it if you wanna find it, so good. And here's a, a screenshot from one of the episodes that shows what's going on. This is a wedding scene and here you have the rabbi and he's wearing this prayer shawl. And right here, there is a long tassel with a blue cord that is set on the corner of the garments and in fact as you're watching this show you'll see that most of jesus disciples and jesus himself are wearing these tassels on the corners of their garments like they would have done. Now, what's the purpose of that? Back in Numbers, when you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord. It was a visual reminder that you belong to the Lord and to remind you to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, much later, the prophet Malachi is talking about that time that Jesus is inaugurating when things will be set right. And he talks about the judgment that's going to come and the deliverance, the rescue, the salvation that's going to come as well. When he's talking about that salvation, this is a a segment from that, from Malachi chapter four, verse two. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. This is clearly talking about that mess- messianic promise, and he says, when when that one comes, and he's described here as the Son of Righteousness, the idea that as he appears on the scene, as the sun rises and brings light. When the Son of God appears on the scene, he's going to bring righteousness. He rises with healing in his wings. Here's how this idea came about. This word for wings is used of all kinds of different wings, like the wing of a bird, the wing of a building, the wing of uh, the cherubim, a certain type of angel. But it's also the same word that is used for corner and so the idea here is that people read this and looked at that and said okay when the messiah shows up he's going to bring healing healing is expected and when he does he brings it in his wings or in the fringe in the corners of his garment and so That's another way that that word is used. It's talking about the edges or corners of a garment. And so, what happens on the edge or corner of the garment? That's where those tassels are that were prescribed in Numbers 15. So, put it all together. God has promised He's going to send His anointed, When he does, one of the many things that he's going to bring is he's going to bring healing. He's going to bring healing in the corners of his garment would be one way of understanding this passage. And so people expected when they see Jesus going around healing people, identifying as that promised Messiah who's described here as the son of righteousness, Well, of course, he must be bringing healing in his wings. He's bringing healing in the very corners of his garment. And so they thought, if we can just reach out and touch the the corner of his garment, then we will be healed. What were they doing? They're expressing their faith, their trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And that the promises that they have been promised, they trust, are going to be fulfilled in Jesus. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. So, what happens when she reaches out and secretly touches the corner of his garment? Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a funny contrast. They're in this crowd and this crowd is pressing in. Jesus and the disciples are getting jostled back and forth is the picture. Everybody is touching everyone. And so she sneaks up behind him, reaches out and touches the corner of her garment And she immediately can tell, she just feels in her body that she has been healed. She knows that immediately from that moment, she has been made well. Then it goes on to say that Jesus also recognized immediately that healing power had flowed from him. And so he asks, who touched me? Because he recognizes that someone has touched him and received healing. And the disciples are incredulous. They're like, who touched you? How? Everyone is touching you. Everyone is touching everyone else. How can you ask us to tell you who touched you? Everybody is touching you. But then he recognizes that who it is and she steps forward and she owns up to it because remember, this would was probably not socially acceptable for her to do this. And then Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, let's be really clear because I think this is kind of the, the, the main thing that I want you to get out of this. Sometimes people talk about faith as just this objectless feeling or trust But you can't have faith in nothing. You can't have faith that's undirected. It has to have an object. So when he says your faith has made you well, he's not saying your faith is just so strong and so powerful that it created this healing for you. No, what he's saying is that your faith was directed in the right direction you put your faith in me and as a result the healing power flowed and you are now well remember the whole these all three of these stories including this one to sum it up is all designed to show you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. That he's that one that's been promised. That he is, in fact, among the other ways it's described, the Son of Righteousness with healing in his wings. So, when she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment it is con- and the healing power flows, it is confirming Jesus' identity that he is the Messiah. He is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And that's kind of the point. You might wonder, as I have, why doesn't everyone get healed? If healing is expected, if healing is a part of the kingdom of God, why is there so much uh, oppression and suffering and sickness and death in the world? Some people experienced healing, but there were certainly some people who did not in Jesus' day. And definitely we see and experience this in our lives. Well, part of the reason for Jesus' miracles, and in fact, I think the main reason, is not some flashy show. It's not to entertain. It alleviates suffering, but beyond that, it confirms Jesus' identity. It confirms Jesus' identity. And that's kind of the point. When we see these things happening, we're supposed to draw a conclusion about who Jesus is and his power and his identity. And that is the point. Now, it's a foretaste of something that will be universal. There will be a day when every tear is wiped away, when death, sickness, disease, dying are all in the past. They're all the old order of things. And the completely new order will take charge. But what we experience now is a foretaste, a, uh, a little glimpse into that. And when we do, we're supposed to recognize that our faith is supposed to be in Jesus. So that's what's going on. Your faith has made you well. Why? Because it was placed in the right object. It was focused in the right direction. So he says, go in peace, shalom. Your suffering is over. What, what, a, what an amazing, amazing, comforting, encouraging uh, word for her to hear that she can go now in peace. Her life for 12 years has been turmoil. Now she has peace. Your suffering is over. Her suffering has been unceasing, unceasing. For 12 years. Now it's over. So, A, Jairus shows up, asks for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. B, the woman sneaks up behind Jesus because her faith is placed in the right object. She receives healing. And now, back to A, the story of Jairus again. While he, Jesus, was still speaking to her, the woman who was just healed, Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. It, it might be hard to remember if you're familiar with this story as I was, that it started out with Jairus asking Jesus to heal his daughter. Not, that, 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 I mean, that was, the, that was the understanding. That was the expectation. She's sick. Do something to prevent her death. Heal her. Come and lay hands on her and let that healing power be transmitted to her in the same way that we've just seen Jesus do in the case of the woman. Healing power was transmitted by touch. But now the daughter has passed away. It's too late for healing. She's already dead. But look what happens here. But Jesus overheard them. He heard what was going on. He heard the message that Jairus receives and said to him, don't be afraid, just have faith. Only faith, only trust. I kind of pictured this where Jairus is coming along with the crowd. There's been this healing with the woman and then he gets the messengers come up and they're having this conversation. You can just see his heart break, and his body just slump with that news. And then I picture him looking up, not looking for anything or anyone in particular, but he looks up, and I the way I picture it is Jesus is looking right at him, and he says, don't be afraid. Only faith, only trust, only belief. Just have faith and he encouraged i mean what does what does that even mean you know what what could he expect his his daughter has passed away it's too late for healing but jesus is telling him just direct your faith in the right object and all will be well Why? Because faith is only as good as its object. And when you put your faith and trust, when you declare your allegiance to Jesus, you will find that Jesus' power exceeds expectation. His power exceeds expectation. So even though Jairus has been told that it's not worth the trip anymore, Jesus and the whole entourage go. He separates out three of the disciples and the girl's mother and father. They are entering into the family home. The mourners are there. And Jesus says, what's all this commotion? The girl is only asleep and they laugh at him because they know that she is dead. Sometimes sleep is used as a metaphor for death because we will all rise at the resurrection some to eternal life some to eternal death but we all rise so we're all asleep in death this little entourage goes into where the girl's body is she is dead and gone but remember touch transmits and the healing power of Jesus is expected if he is who he says he is and in Mark five forty one, it says holding her hand Think of the tenderness, and this is just one of the many eyewitness details that show up in the story. Peter was there. This is Peter's preaching, most likely. He remembers that Jesus reaches out and holds the dead girl's hand. He says to her, Talitha kum. This is Aramaic, the actual words that would have been spoken. Again, eyewitness testimony, actual words. Mark translates it for us. Little girl, get up, arise. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. You see, when your faith is in the right object, you're gonna be amazed and overwhelmed because Jesus' power exceeds expectations. If your faith, no matter how strong, no matter how powerful, no matter how consistent, is in an object or person or thing that is untrustworthy, that is unfaithful, that is unreliable, you're going to be disappointed no matter how strong your faith is. But as Jesus taught in the Gospel of Mark, even the smallest faith, the size of a tiny little mustard seed directed in the right direction is going to move mountains. That's what's going to happen. I'm not sure that's in the Gospel of Mark, but it's definitely in the Gospels. It's all about the object of your faith, not the strength of your faith. So even the tiniest faith in the right object is going to have great results because faith is only as good as its object. So this is my invitation to you. This is Jesus' invitation to us to place our faith in him, to put our faith, however strong or weak it is, in the right object because faith placed in the right object is going to exceed our expectations. You need to start perhaps with that first step of faith of turning your life over to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, acknowledging him. He's made the case over and over again through his actions. He said, if you don't believe my words, believe my actions that I am who I say I am, and that I can do what I say I will do. Don't be afraid, just have faith. So we put our faith in Him, and what does that look like? That means that we trust that what He did on the cross is going to count for us, that His death on the cross purchases our forgiveness. What does yes look like? What does that trust look like? It means turning our lives over to Him, allowing Him to be the boss, to be the one that calls the shots, to Acknowledge him as our Lord as well as our Savior. And when we put our faith in him and trust our lives to him, turn our lives over to him, then all will be well eternally and eventually. Doesn't mean things are going to be easy, but things will be better than they were. Doesn't mean there won't be difficulty, but the end of the story when Jesus writes it ends well. So we turn our lives over to him. If you haven't done that already, I would encourage you to do that. Commit your life to Jesus. And also let us know. Text YES, the word YES, to our church number, 603-225-2550. When you do that, we'll be able to celebrate with you and also equip and encourage you as you walk with Jesus. And when you do that, you are putting your trust and faith and aligning yourself in allegiance with Jesus. And you can expect the same kinds of words that he said to the woman who placed her faith in him. Your faith has made you well, has made you whole. You are forgiven. Your eternity is secure. You are under his authority. So go in peace. Experience the peace of God. Your suffering is over. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have a new life, and God will write a new ending to your story. Your faith has made you well. That's the point of this passage, that faith is only as good as its object. So let's examine the objects of our faith and trust. What are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your hope in? It's only going to turn out as well as the object of your faith. There is none like Jesus Christ to put your faith in. He's going to exceed your expectations because he is trustworthy, faithful, good, loving, kind. And there's no better way to participate in that and to live that life of shalom or peace than to turn your life over to the one who embodies it examine the objects of your faith and trust. If you've been putting it in anything else, let's re-examine that and let's put it in the one who is always faithful, who will never disappoint. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that that is true, that you have promised that those who put their trust in you will never be put to shame. So I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that it's not about the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. That you are who you say you are and you will do what you said you will do and that we entrust our lives to you. You put us under your protection, under your authority. You direct, guide, and lead us from that moment on. Help us to never vary from that, never to to sway from that. Give us strong, faithful, directed trust in you and you alone. And as our week goes on this week, As we encounter the various trials and challenges and difficulties, help us to examine what are we putting our faith in, what are we putting our trust in, and redirect it and refocus it on you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.